Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. I'm glad you're here this morning. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for being here. I know it's snowy out there. I shared with a couple of people earlier this morning, you know, when we get snow like this, which seems to often happen this time of year on Saturday evenings, um, I've got mixed emotions because on one hand, I know that it's going to affect attendance and there's going to be people that aren't able to be with us and aren't comfortable driving in snow and uh, you know, so I, I hate that they're not here. If you're watching online, appreciate you joining us online. We, we, we miss you. We wish you were here. Um, but I'm also excited because the people that are here desire to be here and they, they were determined to be here. And that, that creates the atmosphere for uh, a great service. And I'm, I'm not trying to say anything bad about people that aren't here. I know I've got reports outskirts of town, there's upwards of, you know, an inch and a half, nearly two inches some places. So I understand, you know, driving conditions were not, were not good. So it's not anything against them, but you are here and you're determined to be here. Amen? Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's going to be a great service today. Yeah. Amen? It's going to be a great, great service. Excited to continue our series that we started last week um, for the kingdom. Before we do that, though, I, I want to take a minute and talk about our, our 21 days of fasting and prayer. Today is day 14, so two weeks down, one week to go. If you've been fasting and praying with us for these 14 days, good job, keep it up, keep pressing in. If you have not been fasting and praying with us, it, it's not too late. Just like Pastor Josiah said, said earlier, jump on board with us. T- take this next week to really press in, fast and pray with us and take time dedicated to seeking the Lord, hearing his voice, digging into the word. Amen? Take, do six to six. Take breakfast and lunch for seven days. And God, God is going to honor. You know, it's, it's a discipline given to us in the word of God. God rewards those who diligently seek him. And one of the ways we do that is through fasting, through fasting and prayer. And he, he shared, you know, there's already testimonies. I'll read one to you here in just a couple of minutes. Exciting things exciting things happening. And as you take time to fast and pray, I want to encourage you to expect results to your prayers. Believe big, pray big. If you were here Friday night, and those those Friday night services have been special. I I would encourage you, we've got one more coming up. Make sure that you're here Friday night at seven o'clock. It's going to be just a, a wonderful time in the presence of God. But one thing I made reference to from Matthew chapter 17, you know, it's a story of Jesus goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration, Someone uh, brings his son to the disciples for, for healing. They can't minister properly. Jesus comes down, heals the boy. Later on in private, the disciples asked Jesus, why couldn't we heal that young man? Why couldn't we cast that demon out? And just the fact that they asked the question to Jesus, how come when we prayed for him, nothing happened? That, that, should, that, that gives us insight into what they were used to. The fact that they prayed and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. How come we didn't see immediate results? How come we didn't get an answer to our prayer? That was a problem to them that later on when they're in private, however much time has passed, it's still bothering them and they're still trying to figure out why in the world did we not see an answer to our prayer? A lot of times, even those of us who do spend time praying, we can fall into a mindset that just praying in and of itself, it's enough. I went through the motions of prayer. I took some time to pray. There needs to be a 
an expectation that when you pray, you're going to see results. Don't lower the standard. The Bible says that the prayer of a righteous man or woman has great power and wonderful results. A lot of times, Christians today, it would be the opposite. We'd, we'd pray, and if we saw results, we, we'd go to the Lord and say, hey, Lord, something strange happened. I prayed, and I actually saw what I prayed for come, come to play in my life. That's not the way that it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be some empty religious exercise where we rattle off a few things to the ceiling. God responds not just words pointed upwards. He responds to faith and expectation. So it's important that when I pray, when you pray, I'm expecting. This isn't just, you know, uh, crossing my fingers, uh, lucky rabbit's foot kind of stuff. God is faithful to answer the prayers of his people, provided there's faith attached to those prayers. Amen? So as you're, as you're taking time to fast and pray, have, have an expectation that God is going to answer your prayer. I want to read I want to read a text somebody sent me with a testimony. Naomi Ward texted me this, uh, and I have her, her permission to read it. So if you send me a text, it's not going to get read in front of everybody. Uh, she said, just wanted to let you know that it's only day two of the fast, and we've already had one of our top prayers answered. I've been praying for a new job, and after applying and interviewing for, for numerous jobs and not hearing back, I told God that he was going to have to send me the job he wanted me to have. A few days later, I got called to interview for a job I never applied for. It's been a couple weeks since I've interviewed for it, but we've been praying and believing that God would place me where he wanted me. Coming into the fast, I was confident. That's, that's a key, right? Expectation. I was confident that we would receive an answer on where I was supposed to be, and today I got offered the job. I had a dream about five months ago that I was working for this specific company, and at the time it just confused me, but now I see it's confirmation, confirmation from God. That, that, that's huge. That, that's a... So as you take time to fast and pray, there should be expectation. There should be an, an, an exciting time. And I know it's crucifying the flesh. That's, that's part of it. That's part of the point of it. But don't let that become the focus. That's just a countdown until we're back on our regular eating schedule and just trying to, to weather the storm and, and make it through. Let this be a sweet, wonderful, exciting time in your relationship with, with the Lord. And I, I've asked Austin Weaver. He's, he's going to share just briefly. You know, he, he's somebody, and I won't take everything he's, he's going to say. I, I don't know how many times I've gotten texts over the course of this fast of just things God's doing in his life, just a, a fresh passion and excitement. And so I just, I wanted you to catch some of what God's doing in, in him. That It's not texts of how much longer do I have to do this, those kinds of things. He, he's just getting more and more excited about the things of God going through this fast. I, I would hold the microphone for you, but I feel like if you really wanted it, I wouldn't stand a chance keeping away from it. Yeah, so like Luke said, I mean, I've talked to him and then <clears throat> a bunch of guys here at the church. I'd fasted, I mean, we've had breakthrough in our family and we have testimonies and, you know, all the stuff you're supposed to get from fasting. And I'd fasted in the past, um, but I did it with my ego. You know, I feel like a lot of us struggle with that. Like I did it with, our church does it, so I have to fast. Or... Uh, let me make it, you know, seven days, that's enough, and then I can, you know, I can eat then, 
And just, you know, you've said it before, just thinking about food the whole entire fast. Not being, you know, not being spirit-led. And then, you know, it kind of, so I wanted to talk about, you know, what I understood this year that was different than other years. Um, I learned that, like, I, I was like, okay, I want to fast. I want, I want this to really stick. So I learned um, that the death to the flesh, you know, what the flesh wants most, you, like you want to eat during the fast. So when I learned that dying to the flesh, like if we're, you know, making it simple, if we're two sides, like we're a flesh side and we're a spiritual side, um, the, the more we can fight that fleshly side when we want to eat, we want all these things, down the road, throughout the year, during the fast, whatever, uh, the easier it is to turn up the volume of that spiritual side. You know, I can hear when I want to lose my temper or I want to, you know, sin or whatever it is, my fleshly side, you know, I can hear my spiritual side a lot louder. As in, we, you know, we're just taking a time, and, and, it, and it's, it's for some people, you know, it's an extreme time, and we're, we're turning the volume down to that flesh side. When the flesh is screaming, you know, I wanna eat, I wanna eat, I wanna eat, you can break now, you've went long enough, whatever it is. And it's not that there's a pressure, you know, everyone's spiritual conviction is different. It's like, it's a, just being spirit-led, this year was different for me. And then when we turn the volume down, even when it's screaming, you know, our, our spiritual side just gets turned up. And it, it just grew and grew and grew throughout this fast where it was like I was diving in, learning, you know, early church. It was like this was one of their spiritual disciplines, you know, fasting. And it, it's, you know, you see it a lot of times like it's not anymore, honestly. So trying to get that back, realizing, you know, like this is important as praying and doing the fast the right way. You know, praying every morning, um, however you do it. But just diving in and really just being spirit-led, and wanting growth, not praying over anything specific, just, you know, God, I wanna be thankful this year. I wanna be closer to you. I've seen my life when you're at the reins, where you've taken me, you know, we've started businesses and everything else. I've seen where God's taken me, so the closer I can get to you, I know the path is right. Like, I know it's better than my understanding, so it's like, that's all I want is to draw closer. And this year, night and day difference, just doing the fast the way it should be done. You know, yeah. spirit-led, not letting your ego get in the way, not making it miserable, not anything. I texted Luke and I was like, how much juice you, how, how much juice you drink in a day? Because I was like, I, I drink it, I would literally go all day and drink in the evening. I was like, I feel like I'm drinking too much juice. Because it's easy. Like I said, and that sounds like funny, but it was. It was easier this year, or it's been easier this year than any other year. But it's because I'm doing the fast the right way. You know what I mean? Like I'm not doing it myself, my ego. You know, I'm with the Holy Spirit, you know, have the power to do it. And it's been, you know, it's been great this year. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, thank you. Yeah, so again, if, you, if you're fasting, these last seven days, if you're not fasting, ju jump in with us and let this be a regular part of your walk with the Lord. It's a spiritual discipline. One of the tools God has given us to grow in our walk with God. What he said was, I mean, it's so true, and I know a lot of you have experienced, <clears throat> experienced that same thing. Well, last week, if you were here, we started a new series called For the Kingdom, and we started off in Philippians chapter two, which is one of several places where, where the Bible tells us that the people of God should be united, that we should be of one mind, 
one heart, one purpose, that we have different functions, our lives look different, we have different roles in the body of Christ, but our purpose, our, our priorities, our focus needs to be the same. One heart, one mind, one purpose. And then we looked at Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus gives us the proper priorities and it's very different than the way the natural man prioritizes life. It's actually backwards and he says that we're supposed to seek first, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you, that for the kingdom, that, that is the, the passion, the desire. That's why we're here on this earth. That's why after you accepted Jesus as Savior, you weren't just beamed immediately up to heaven to enjoy your mansion. You're here for a purpose. You, you are here on a mission. And what is that mission? You're here for the sake of the kingdom, for the kingdom, to advance the kingdom, to lift up the name of Jesus, to make impact for the kingdom. We talked about how there's coming a day where we're going to stand before Jesus. We talked about the difference between the white throne judgment and what people call the Bema judgment, where believers, there'll be a, a judgment for sinners, people that don't know the Lord, but those of us who do know the Lord will also stand before him on judgment day and will give an account for what we did for the kingdom and the stuff that we did for ourselves, for comfort, for temporary nonsense, for pride, for ego, it's, it's all going to pass through a fire. And it says, what's wood, hay, and stubble. It's just about you. It's just about the here and now. It's, it's all going to be burnt up. But what's for the kingdom, what's gold and precious stones, it, it'll pass through refined and it'll be a, a, a blessing and there's going to be great reward and some people will suffer loss. There's the possibility you live your life and then stand before the Lord and you find out your life didn't matter at all. You made no impact. It matters that we live for the kingdom. It matters in your life. It matters in other people's lives. It matters here and now whether you live for the kingdom or not. It matters for eternity whether you live for, for the kingdom or not. So we're, we're gonna continue talking about this same, this same subject. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter one. And we'll just start there and work our way through the entire Bible this morning since we're snowed in anyway. In Genesis chapter one, if, if we read the whole chapter, obviously you have the, the creation account God begins to create the universe, let there be light. Then on day two, day three, day four, it walks us through how God created things. And we get to day six, and at the end of day six, God creates mankind. He creates humans. And that kind of wraps up the creation account. The next day, the next day he, he rests, but that's where we're picking it up. John chapter one, verse 26 says this, then God said, Let's, let us make human beings or let us make man in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. So God, God creates everything, gets to creating mankind. When he creates human beings, once he created Adam, the first words spoken to God, to humanity, were these words, be fruitful and, and multiply. 
Be fruitful and multiply. Now, in the Hebrew, that's in the imperative form. So it is a, it's an instruction. It's a command to be fruitful and to multiply. And he says, be, be fruitful. That's like a current condition, right? Not just someday bear fruit. Not, not I will bear fruit or I, I have I have uh, fruited, <laughs> whatever the past tense of bearing fruit is. I have, I did fruit. I have fruited. What, what, I, so, it, but it's 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 the present tense, right? Be be in this condition that God wants humanity to function with this mindset of I am fruitful. I'm multiplying. I'm increasing. I'm productive. That that's that's the first words that God ever spoke of all the things He could have said. That was the first instruction. Be be fruitful. Be productive. Multiply. You know, that word productive and fruit, they, they go together. If you're fruitful, you are productive. And we're talking about for the kingdom, right? When you, pro, when you produce, that, that's even a word that's interchangeable with, with fruit. If you go to the grocery store and ask for the, the produce section, they're going to take you to where the fruit and vegetables are, that produce. You're, you're producing. Produce. Be productive. Be fruitful and multiply. That God wants us behaving that way, living in that kind of environment. Current, current, not once I was fruitful, someday I hope to be fruitful. Right now, be fruitful and multiply. How can I increase? How can I do more? How can my life be productive? How can there be something that my life is adding benefit to others? That I'm, It's not just about me. I'm producing to other people. That, that was the first instruction God gave humanity. And it's referred to as a command. And in a sense, it is a command. But it's, it's not just a command. It's a, it's a command that's actually contained in something else. Let's read verse 28 again. It says, Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. So what is it? That instruction or command to be fruitful and multiply, it's not just a command. It's actually a blessing. God blessed them by giving that instruction to be fruitful and, and to multiply. It is a blessing to be fruitful. It's a blessing to live a life that goes beyond just you. It, it's, it's a blessing to have that kind of perspective in, in life, to produce. You know, God, God could have said, you know, this is in the garden before. I mean, people have just been made. There's no sin. It's all perfect. It's wonderful. It's the garden of Eden, absolute paradise. God could have said anything to human beings. He could have said, be happy, be joyful, be comfortable, which God isn't against any of those things, which is important to know. You know, God's not, God's not against you being joyful. He, he wants you to be joyful. Joyful is that the, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So he could have said that. God's not, God's not against you being comfortable. You, right? Amen. Some people think God doesn't, he's not concerned with your comfort. He, has, he, has, he actually is concerned with your comfort. He told the disciples, it's better for you that I go away because if I go away, I can send you a comforter. Talking about the Holy Spirit. So for someone who's not interested in your comfort, to send you a comforter, it's a very ineffective means of carrying out your, your desires. So he could have said any of those, any of those things. 
God wants those, but God's instructions, and this is true all through the word of God, God's instructions, he knows what you want, he knows what's a blessing to you, he gives instructions that are the root that will begin to produce the things that you desire. John 15, which we'll get to in, in just a few, a few minutes. In context, Jesus is talking about our lives being fruitful, and as he's talking about being fruitful, he, he says, I've told you these things that your joy may, may be full. So if you'll, if you'll just listen to the word of God and apply it, well, I, I'm worried about this and I really desire this, God understands that and he gives you instructions that if you'll just listen to him, be fruitful for the kingdom, joy and comfort and peace, all those, all those things will begin to spring up in your life. If you'll just, instead of one command, be comfortable, be happy, any of those things, God gives you a command that will begin to produce that in your lives. It's true for all of God's word instructions on marriage. God knows the things that you want as, as a husband. He knows what a fulfilling marriage. I, I, want, I want to be able to get along. I want to be able to laugh together. I want to have some things that we enjoy doing together. I want a fulfilling sex life. I want peace in my life. He, he knows all the things that you desire, but his instructions are, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Well, God, I, I want all these other, he knows if you'll do that, that that's, that's the root that'll begin to produce all the things that you're, you're really after. And we don't trust him enough to say, God, you, you know what is best for me. We don't trust his love for us, his care and his concern for us. So it keeps us from really being able to embrace and apply his word. It would, it would, it would produce all the things that you want in life if you trust it. Be fruitful and, and multiply. It is, it is a blessing to be fruitful. It's a blessing to have that mindset. It's a blessing to go through life looking to multiply and impact more people and your life not just be about you. Turn your Bibles to John chapter four. John chapter four. We won't, we won't read the entire story. Most of you are familiar with it. But it's the time where Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at the well. His disciples have gone into town to buy food for him. He's left at, at the well. He starts to interact with this Samaritan woman. He reveals to her that he's the Messiah. She goes away back to her town to get more people and say, hey, come and, come and meet, meet a man who's told me everything I ever did. Come and meet the Messiah. While she's off doing that, the disciples show up to Jesus. John chapter 4, verse 31. They've brought him, they've brought him food. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Jesus says, my, my nourishment, they brought him food. And he's saying, no, listen, I'm filled up with something else. I'm satisfied, I'm nourished, I'm, I'm fulfilled by something other than what you're offering me. And then he begins to explain to them what that fulfillment, what his nourishment, what his, his sustenance, his strength, what it was coming from. My nourishment comes from doing the will of God, the will of the Father. We talked last week about what, what does it mean really to seek the kingdom of God? And Jesus explains it in the Lord's prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. 
right? So it's not two separate requests. One is clarifying the other. Your kingdom come. What does that mean? Your will be done. God's kingdom is advancing where his will is being done. That I'm seeking his kingdom. I'm seeking his kingdom first when I want more than anything else. God, I want your will over my will, over anyone else's will, not what people think is appropriate of me, not what people are expecting of me. God, the first thing I desire is to do your will. That's seeking God's will first, seeking the kingdom of God first. And so when Jesus says, my nourishment comes from doing his will, He's talking about satisfaction that comes for, for, from living for the kingdom. When you make the kingdom of God your number one driving priority and motivator, I'm living for the kingdom, that's where satisfaction and fulfillment comes from. And so you can also understand, you can flip that around, where there's a lack of satisfaction, a lack of fulfillment. You're, you're not living for the kingdom. You're not living for the will of the Father. You're not worried about carrying out what he wants. You've gotten off track somewhere, and so now there's a lack of fulfillment and joy. You're, I'm not fulfilled. I'm just not satisfied in fill in the blank. I'm just not satisfied. I'm not fulfilled in my marriage. I'm not fulfilled in, in my life, in my career. This, this, this sheds light on that. My, my satisfaction, nourishment, fulfillment comes from doing the will of the Father, which is seeking the kingdom. I'm living for the kingdom. So many people are unsatisfied in life. So many people live their life unfulfilled, unhappy on the inside. You know, we live, I mean, the United States is the most prosperous, blessed country on, on the planet. We, we're blessed. Yeah. We're, we're prosperous. But we're also the most depressed anxiety-ridden country. You can look at statistics of, of people being prescribed medications for depression. I mean, we, we, lead, we lead the world, even though we're, why? How can we have so much abundance and be such miserable, unfulfilled, depressed, sad, sad people at the same time? It's because people spend their lives worried about them, trying to do what, what they put themselves at the center, trying to find fulfillment, doing whatever makes them happy. What they, they can experience so many things, buy so many things, stack up possessions, all of that, and still find I'm empty on the inside. And at some point when you realize there's nothing left for me to experience, there's nothing left for me to purchase, I've, I've done everything I know to do, and I'm still, I'm still unfulfilled, unsatisfied, that causes people to be depressed. And it's not just worldly people. There's people in the church that live their life even, even in an attempt to serve the Lord. They're, they're not really seeking, they're not living for the kingdom. They, they, like, they like the benefits of not going to hell. They like knowing, hey, I'll, I'll get to go to heaven someday. But they still live unsatisfied, unfulfilled, because genuinely they haven't made the kingdom of God their number one priority. Uh, in honesty, they aren't living for for the kingdom. Jesus said fulfillment, satisfaction comes from the kingdom for living to do the will of God. It, it's a blessing. It's a blessing to be fruitful and multiply for the kingdom. Let's keep reading what Jesus is explaining. Verse 34 again. Then Jesus explained my nourishment. So this is an explanation. The disciples are confused. They're asking each other, well, what's going on here? We went to get a, a food. We've, we've prepared a nice picnic. Jesus says he's, he's already filled up. What in the world is happening? And so Jesus is offering an explanation. And he explains this. My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. 
You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? Jesus says, my nourishment comes from doing the will, living for the kingdom, and then he starts talking about harvesting souls into the kingdom of God. So there's a clear connection between doing the will of God and winning souls into the kingdom of God. That, that, that is the number one will of the Father. That's the number one work of doing what God wants us to do is to be concerned with winning souls for the kingdom. Seeing people leave the kingdom of darkness and be brought into eternal life in the kingdom of God's dear Son. Amen. That God, God's will touches every area of our lives. God has a will concerning all kinds of things in our lives, but his number one will is that people would make heaven and not go to hell. We can't really be seeking the kingdom of God. We can't really live for the kingdom and be unconcerned with people making it to heaven. Yeah. You, you can't. That's the number one will of the Father. As a father, if you're, you're a parent, you understand that same thing. I have, a, I have a will concerning my children in every area of their life. I care about all kinds of stuff. I want them to be happy. I want them to have nice stuff. I want them to feel cared for when they need shoes. I want them to have shoes. I want them to get a good education. I want them to be happily married. I want them to be prosperous. I want them to live in a nice house. I want them to drive nice cars. I, I, I care about all of those things, but they pale in comparison with my desire for them to make heaven. And if I had to pick one or the other, I mean, who cares how healthy and blessed you are if you spend eternity in hell? That, that's the number one thing. Thankfully, we don't have to pick one or the other, but I, I, I'd rather they have a, a miserable marriage, a crappy car, live in a, a cardboard box, but make heaven yeah. than enjoy life here and then burn, burn in hell for eternity. This life is so short. I mean, 80, 90 years, whatever, whatever it ends up being for us, it's so brief. I mean, it's just, it's nothing. The Bible says it's like a vapor compared to eternity. Th this is nothing. So the, the number one thing, God cares about your marriage, cares about your house, cares about your feelings, cares about every little thing. But his number one will, if I'm gonna do the will of the Father, I have to be concerned with souls, people making it to heaven. And he lets us know that it's worth it. It's worth it. It's not just, hey, he's gonna work you like a slave, you carry out his will. It says the workers are paid good wages. They're well taken care of. Oh, what joy awaits both planter and harvester alike. There's, there's a blessing. Being fruitful for the kingdom, when you live for the kingdom and you are fruitful, you are productive, you multiply, there is a blessing associated with it. And one of the blessings, maybe the greatest blessing this side of heaven, is satisfaction, fulfillment. That's, that's part of the wages. That's what Jesus is explaining. I'm filled up. I'm satisfied because it's so good to do the will of, of the Father. You know, that, that's part of the wages, living a life where you are fulfilled, satisfied. There are people that are very wealthy. People have millions and millions of dollars, but they're not satisfied on the inside. There's no fulfillment, and they would gladly trade all of that money and all of those possessions for fulfillment and satisfaction. Part of the wages of saying, God, I'm concerned about you. I, I'm, I'm going to go out of my way to carry out your will. Not my will, your will. I don't want to be nice to that person. I want to be mean to that person. But it's not about my will. It's about your will. Amen. I want to I be selfish. That's not God's will. God wants me to be generous. right? God's, that's seeking. Living for the kingdom is working 
To have his will done, your kingdom come equals your will, your will being done in our, in our lives. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added, will be added unto us. You know, I'm learning more and more in my life how true that really is. That when, the more I concern myself with the kingdom of God and the less I concern myself with the things that, that I desire, I find that God takes care of me better than I could take care of me. If, if, I, if I leverage the opportunities that he's given me, when I, I leverage the resources that he's put in my hand, when I do that with a heart for the kingdom, here, here's what I'd like to do with it, but God, it's for, for the kingdom, I'm learning more and more and experiencing God takes better care of me than anything I, I could do. So the, the, the blessings aren't a bad thing. It's when you get obsessed with the blessing and you're living for the blessing. You can't really... You can't really enjoy it that way. The only way you can really enjoy the blessings is to not be living for them, but be living for the kingdom. Then you can enjoy the blessings along the way. But once they become what you're living for, it's like they're slipping through your hands. You can't get any enjoyment or, or satisfaction from them anymore. The, the command to be fruitful and multiply, that command, it is a blessing. When you obey that command, you find satisfaction. You find purpose. You find meaning. You find, you find your mission. It's no longer about you. When life is for, for the kingdom, you become productive. You know, it's a blessing to produce. It's a blessing to be fruitful. You know, you are wired to be productive. People are made to be productive. Have you ever had the kind of day when you go to bed, you lay down, and you think, man, I didn't get anything done today? You ever had those kind of days? Where it's like, man, I was so unproductive today. I feel like I just wasted today. Somebody, just for my sake, please pretend. For God's sake, just pretend so I don't feel like such a loser up here. Well, I've had days where I think, at the end of the day, I thought, man, I, I, I did not get enough done today. If you've had that kind of day, it's not a good feeling, right? Yeah. It's not like, ah, I'm going to sleep great tonight. I did nothing. I wasted the entire day. I was so unproductive. I have nothing to show for my efforts today. Good night, honey. Right, right, that's not, it's, not a, it's not a good feeling. It's, it's a good feeling when you think, man, I crushed it today. I got so much done today. I, I was so productive. Man, I can't believe all the things. That, that is a good, it's a blessing to be productive, to do something. Man, I, I've got something to show for my life. I, I use my time wisely. I did something that's a blessing for someone else. It wasn't just about me sitting on the couch and just relaxing all day. I, I was productive. It is a blessing, a blessing to produce. You know, and all through the book of Genesis, I think it's uh, maybe seven, eight, maybe nine times that this command is like given over and over this instruction to be fruitful and to multiply. Genesis chapter nine, after Noah and his family get out, out of the ark after the flood, what's God say to them? Nine, chapter nine, verse one, it says, then God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, be fruitful and multiply. Then he blesses them for another seven verses or so. That blessing continues. It start, he blesses them. What's the, what's the blessing? The blessing is a command, be fruitful, multiply. And he wraps up at the end of that blessing. He says it again, gives them another instruction to, to be fruitful. It is a blessing for us to be fruitful and to multiply for the kingdom. Turn to John chapter 15. Flip over a couple pages to John chapter 15.
John chapter 15, starting in verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. So this be fruitful, multiply, it's not just an Old Testament book of Genesis concept. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's explaining, my father, he's the gardener, I'm, I'm the vine, Jesus says, and you guys, my followers, you're a branch, I'm a branch, we, we are branches, right? And then he tells us the way those branches are treated is directly correspondent to the fruit they bear or they don't bear. And he says the branches that don't bear fruit, they are cut off. If you read the rest of that chapter, they're not cut off, taken to some kind of care center. They're taken off and they're burned. And the branches that do bear fruit, they are pruned to produce even, even more fruit. So if, if you're here today and you realize you are not fruitful, you're not being fruitful and multiplying for the kingdom, then you need to get fruitful. It matters that you are fruitful. It is important that you change your priorities, get things changed around your life so that you can be fruitful for, for the kingdom. Because Jesus is giving us a stern warning. Unfruitful branches aren't given a, 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 a pat and a comforting word, they're severed from the vine and thrown into the fire. Unpleasant. And then he says that the fruitful ones, that they get even more fruitful. So I'm thankful I'm in a room of fruitful people. Amen? This is a room of fruitful, fruitful people, which is wonderful. Praise, praise God. As individuals, there's fruitful people in here. Collectively, as a church family, we, we are fruitful. It is wonderful, but we can't settle. We can't plateau because it says if you're fruitful, awesome. But again, that, that instruction wasn't have some fruit, bear a fruit or two. It says be fruitful. Stay in that, in that state. And so it says that they are pruned. Why? So they can bear even more. There, there's no plateau. There's nowhere we can let our foot off the gas. So we've been fruitful, praise God. We, we can't settle. Let me read it to you in the Amplified Version. In the Amplified Version, verse 2, it says, Any branch in me that does not bear fruit, that stops bearing, he cuts away, trims off, takes away. And he cleanses and repeatedly prunes every branch that continues to bear fruit to make it bear more and richer and more excellent fruit. That the branches that are fruitful, what's God want? He wants to change things around so that we can bear more, richer, and more excellent fruit. That God's concerned about the quantity increasing, and he's concerned about the quality increasing. So we can't stop, we can't stop pushing in our, in our fruitfulness. We can't stop pushing in our, in our own personal lives. We can't stop pushing as, as a church family that you are too important. You're too gifted. People need the best version of you. They need you bearing all the fruit that God destined you to bear. It matters. Again, it matters to you now and in eternity. It matters in other people's lives. You've got too much to offer to not produce the maximum amount of, of fruit. We read it last week from Psalm 92, verse 14, that even in their old age, they'll continue to bear fruit and they will remain vital. That means we're supposed to be fruitful all the time. And when we get older, it says they'll remain 
ordained, vital. We talked about the meaning of that word. It means important. It means, it means critical. It means absolutely necessary. Your place in the body of Christ, you are important. You've got important fruit to bear. What you do or don't do, it has real implications, real impact or a lack of impact. You, you are vital no matter what the age. If you're old, you're vital. It says you remain vital. It means you were, you were vital before you got old. So if you're old, you're vital. If you're young, you are vital, vital. That, that means critical, important, right? If you, if you had to have a part of your body cut off, for whatever reason, I have no idea. And they cut, you know, a, a pinky toe, an earlobe. I don't know what you would choose, but you couldn't tell the doctor, ah, just take my lungs. I've, I've never even seen my heart. I think I could do without it. You can't, you can't take that. They're, they're, you have to have them. That's what it's saying about you. We have to have you. We have to have you bearing maximum. For, you're way too important. Again, if you're old, you are, you are vital. We have to have you bearing fruit. If you're young, we have to have you in the kingdom of God bearing fruit. If you're in your 40s like me and you don't know if you're young or old. We're, we're still, old people tell you you're young. Young people tell you you're old. I have no idea. So, uh, we're still vital. Spoken like an old person. <laughs> you, you, you are vital in the body of Christ. You are vital in the church. You're vital in this church. We, we can't stop pushing to produce fruit, more fruit, richer fruit, better fruit, more excellent fruit. Thank God for what we've born. Thank God for how we have fruited in the past. We, we, need, to, we need to fruit more. More fruit, better, better fruit. We need you. That The world needs what you have to offer. You are, you are vital. It's important that you know that you're important. And it's important that we, we have a mindset. God, I know it's a blessing for me to be fruitful and multiply, so I'm going to push in that direction. And it takes push. It takes effort. Otherwise, it wouldn't have to be a command. He lets us know it's a blessing, but then he also knows the tendency of humans. I've got to command it. I've got to, it takes push. Listen to this passage from Isaiah 66, verse eight. Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. As soon as she travailed, and she was fruitful. She brought forth her children. Pictures of a woman in labor, which I have, I've never given birth to a child, but I've witnessed it four times, and it seemed like a lot of work. There, there was travail. There, there, was, there was push required to be fruitful in that, in that sense. Amen? The same thing is true in our, our lives. It doesn't just happen passively. You just living your life concerned with what concerns you, you're, you're, that's not how people become fruitful. It takes push. I, I've got to travail. I've got to determine. I've got to prioritize. I'm going to live my life for the kingdom. It, it doesn't just accidentally happen. No one will live their life for the kingdom of God on accident and get to the end and be like, holy moly, I can't believe it. Look, look back at my life. It was all for the kingdom. It'll never happen. You start off at the onset. Or wherever you are right now, I'm saying from, from this point forward, it's for the kingdom. My life is for the kingdom. Make every area of your life relevant to the kingdom. Amen. Attach everything, your family, your relationships, your finances, your job, your household. How is this relevant for the kingdom? What, what God's agenda. How is this playing a role in God's, in God's agenda? Because you carry fruitfulness potential on the inside of you. 
That, that's what you carry. You carry fruitfulness potential. Otherwise, God would have no place saying that to you. It'd be, it'd be uh, cruelty to tell people to be fruitful. They have no ability to be, bear fruit. So you carry that. But it's one of those characteristics that can lay dormant. It does lay dormant in people. It has to be activated. You carry a presence and a power that has to be activated. Using the same analogy. You know, a, a woman... A woman carries the ability to be fruitful, just picking up from that passage from Isaiah. But that doesn't mean they're just continually being fruitful, right? There's actions that, without getting into the birds and bees, that you, it lays dormant in them. That ability lays dormant, and steps are taken to activate the ability to bear fruit. You, you carry a power to, to make impact to be fruitful and multiply, but it won't happen by accident. You've got to activate it. It's, it's, like, it's like the story in Mark chapter four of, of the disciples crossing the lake in a boat and a storm comes and they think they're gonna die. They're taking on water. Jesus is asleep in the boat the whole time. They, they carry a presence that could change everything. They finally wake him up. He rebukes the storm, but until he was activated, until that power and presence was activated, they were existing. It says in that passage that other boats were joining them crossing the lake that day. They, they, they were acting, behaving, experiencing the exact same thing as everyone else who lacked that power and lacked that presence. It wasn't until they activated it that everything changed. And thank God they did activate it because everyone else's life around them that was going to sink and die too, that they were going to drown, their lives were spared because of the people that carried that power activated it. The same thing is true for our lives. There are people in your workplace, people in your family, people in this community that are dependent on you and I activating that power and presence to be fruitful and, and to multiply. There's, there's things you can do to activate that presence. Fasting is one of them. Man, there's so many benefits. You heard Austin sharing about benefits he's experiencing. Man, just coming alive to the Spirit. Because it's, it's dormant until you die to the flesh and realize, man, I've been carrying this presence. I'm, I'm half flesh, half spirit. Read Galatians chapter 5. It walks through the exact thing that he was talking about. The flesh wars against the Spirit. Always. Right now, your flesh is warring against the Spirit. Learning how to give... Follow what the Spirit desires, what's best for the Spirit, instead of what's best for your flesh. Fasting is one of those ways to activate that presence. Worship is one of the ways we activate the presence of God. That's why we start our, our times together just focusing on hearts. Often God prays and worship. Why? Because you know you've got the presence of God, and there's a difference between knowing God is everywhere and then becoming very aware of his presence. Right? You, you activate. You start to get in tune, line up with, I mean, you're, you're worried about getting the snow off your boots and get in here. Man, it's freezing out there. Roads are, roads are crazy. You know, 20 minutes later, none of that matters. Yeah. My, your hands are lifted. Tears coming out of your eyes. God, I love you so much. I love, I love your presence. Lord, there's no one else like you. What happened? You were, God abandoned you on the drive-in? He was with you. You activated, yeah. you activated his presence. Fasting is one. Worship is one. Praying in the Holy Spirit is a way that you activate the presence of God, activate that power and that potential, taking time to pray in the Holy Ghost. And obedience, obedience is one. Doing the will of the Father. That's a way you activate 
that potential. What is that? It's living for the kingdom, living for that your will be done. I'm going to do what you want me to do. You activate that power. You activate that, that presence. You, you, have you heard the term uh, a Trojan horse? Right? People use, use that term. It, it comes from Greek mythology, from the Trojan War, when the, the Greeks were trying to trying to breach into the city of Troy and take it. And they, they were there for a certain period of time. And finally, they came up with this plan. Let's act like we retreated, like we're, we're out of here. We give up. You guys are too tough for us. All right, you've proved your point. We'll, we'll just build this big wooden horse and put outside the gates, and then we'll pretend like we left, and they'll think it's like a present. And so that's, that's what they did, according to Greek mythology anyway. And so the, the people in the city of Troy see him leave, peek out the, the peephole in the gate and see this beautiful big wooden horse. Oh my goodness, they, it's like a trophy of war. And they bring it in and they celebrate. They have a party and then that night, they didn't know that within that, within that wooden horse, they had certain soldiers hiding inside of it. And so once everyone went to sleep, these soldiers crawled out of the horse, however that worked, and then they end up taking the city and it's the way that the Greeks won the war. But that story, that, that idea of a Trojan horse has become a phrase that means something, something that seems good, it seems like a nice thing, but it's actually a sneaky way of delivering something bad. It seems good, but it's actually a trick. It's a trick to try to get you to accept something. It's going to hurt you or defeat you. And the church, in a lot of ways, has accepted a Trojan horse of a, a mindset that you're not that important. It's, uh, uh, the Trojan horse is humility. This false humility, it seems good. Hey, I, how many know I'm not that important? I'm just a regular guy. I don't have much to offer. Nothing special about me. Nothing special about you. Amen? It, it seems good. It's a Trojan horse. And anyone who thinks otherwise is arrogant and proud. And what a, that guy's so, so full of himself. It, it's, a, it's, a Trojan, it's a Trojan horse. And what happens is people buy into that and don't realize how important you really are. So it's possible to have a church full of anointed, powerful, gifted, mighty men and women of God. People that are, are more than conquerors, but the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As you think, that's the way that you are. So even though you might be powerful and anointed and gifted and made for impact and carry the ability to be fruitful and multiply, if people buy this tro Trojan horse, this mindset, I'm unimportant, even though they're all these other things, they're living the life of an unimportant person. Yeah. And they, they miss out on the impact God wants them to have. And it, it matters if you think you're important or not. It's, it's, you know, think of it in other terms. If, you, if there's a teacher, a high school math teacher or something that thinks oh, I'm unimportant, what I do, it's kids don't care. They'll never use this stuff anyway. Who cares about geometry? That's going to affect the way that they engage with teaching. That's going to affect their passion. That's going to uh, uh, affect their enjoyment. Or maybe not a teacher, maybe a, an airplane mechanic. Right? I'm an airplane mechanic. It would be a bad thing for an airplane mechanic to be like, eh, it doesn't really matter what I do. Just pay the bills, you know, just punch a clock and, right? But if that person understands, man, people's lives are dependent on me. 
not only is it, are they going to tend towards doing a better job, there's going to be more fulfillment. There's going to be more joy, more satisfaction, knowing what I do matters. And, and what matters way more than, than math teachers and way more than, than airplane mechanics. Not saying those people aren't important. My wife is a math teacher, so it's not, not meant to be an insult. What matters more is the people of God realizing I was meant to bear a fruit. You know, we, we read it earlier. You are made in the image of God. One of the things that God did in, in that creation account is he brought things into the world that didn't exist before. You're made in his image. That means you are, are made to bear fruit, to produce things that otherwise they would never be. You are important. You are vital. What you do matters. People need you. And you've, you've got to buy into that and believe it. To live for the kingdom, my life matters. The body of Jesus Christ needs Needs me at full capacity, doing everything that I was destined to do. Otherwise, other people are suffering. People will miss out. People won't get to, to advance, grow. I can't spur other people on the way that I was made to spur them on. You and I are way too vital to not purpose in our heart to live for the kingdom so we can bear more fruit, richer fruit, and more excellent fruit in our lives. key part is understanding it's important. Is it, is it important for God to be glorified? Yes, it's important for God to be glorified. It's important that God's name is lifted up. L listen to what it says in John 15, 8. Same, same chapter talking about fruitfulness. John 15, 8, Jesus is continuing. He says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. That, that's amazing. How do we it, it, it's important to glorify God. How do we do that? Bear much fruit. So, you know, when you, you pray for God to be glorified, you know what you're really praying? Make me fruitful. Make my life. God be glorified. I just want God glorified. You know how you be fruitful and multiply. Father, be glorified in my life. That's the same. Make my life fruitful. Make me fruitful. Make me productive. Make me have something to offer. Let my life not be stagnant and stale and self-focused and all about me. Be glorified. It's the same thing as, as saying Make me fruitful. Make me fruitful for, for the kingdom. You know, in the Old Testament, there's, there's a, the story of, of Esther. And most of you are familiar with the story of Esther. She was living uh, in Persia during the time of, of captivity. God's people were in exile. And she was actually selected because of her beauty, the favor of God on her life. She's, she's actually the queen of the country. Even though she's not, she's not even from there. She's not, she's not Persian. She's Jewish. And she becomes queen. And while she is queen, there's this plot uh, to kill all of the Jews. Right? We're going we're gonna to wipe them out. But her uncle Mordecai comes to her and lets her know, hey, listen, um, you realize you're in a position to do something about, about this. Um, instead of just letting people die, instead of letting people perish, you could do something about this. And in that, in that talk he has with Esther, he says, you're, you're in this position for such a time as this. For such a time as this. I, I want to read that verse because that's not all that he says. He says something else that's important. In Esther chapter 4, verse 14, it says, for it, this is Mordecai talking to Queen Esther. For if you remain completely silent at this time, Relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your family's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time 
as this. You've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. But he also says, if you remain silent, if you're not going to do anything, then God will raise somebody else up. The deliverance will come from someone else. But right now, God's giving you the opportunity. Right now, his eyes are on you. He can use somebody else, but now, now you have a chance. Should he keep looking? Or, or has he found who he's looking for? You're here for such a time as this. You could squander it. He'll, he'll, God's going to do what he's going to do. But it was Esther's opportunity for God to use her. You and I have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. this. This is our opportunity. This is our time to be, I mean, this is our life, right? This is it. This is our, that you are living your life. We are the church of Jesus Christ that is on the earth today, that's located he, here today. This, this is the story of how we function as the church. As you look over the history of the church, there's some ups and downs. There's some groups of people that did better than others. You've got the stories of the dark ages or times of where, where people fell away and the church wasn't functioning at full capacity. And there's other stories of people like the, the Welsh revival or Azusa Street, times where, 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 man, those people tapped into something. Those people made impact. They changed the entire region by what God was doing. Just a group of people, that that's the story of when they got their opportunity, when they were the church, when they, they'd come to the kingdom for such a time as that, it wasn't squandered. That when the eyes of God fell on them, they said, keep on looking. We're not interested. Find, find somebody else. Do it another time. Do it another place. We're, we're, we're busy. We're comfortable. We've got a lot going on. There's groups of people that said, no, God, if you're looking for someone to use, if this is our opportunity, we're not, we're not going to miss it. You and I have come to the kingdom for such a time. This is it. This is it. We're in the kingdom for such a time as this. And if we're not going to do what God wants done, he'll, he'll use someone else. God's going to carry out his kingdom. Jesus will return for a pure and spotless bride. You and I can either play a part in that or, or we can be too satisfied with our own little temporary existence and say, keep, keep on, keep on looking or understand I'm here for such a time as this. And if I'll change my priorities, change my focus, change the, the trajectory of my life, the driving factor on the inside of me, that it's not just me and my comfort. It's for the kingdom. God, I'm for the kingdom. Whatever you want for the kingdom, your will be done for the kingdom. God, be glorified. Make me fruitful. Cause me, cause me to multiply. I'm here for such a time. As this, think about the time that you and I exist, where we have been planted. What's going on in the world today? I mean, you can see Jesus is coming back soon. Jesus, his return is so close. We get to be the church that's on the earth. This is our opportunity. Yeah. Deliverance will arise from, from somewhere. People are gonna get delivered. Would you, like, would you like to be a part of it? Would you like to be the ones? Let, let me read one more passage of scripture. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Starting in verse 24. Here is another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. 
The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed, it's full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out all the weeds, they asked? No, replied, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them, and to put the wheat in the barn. So Jesus is illustrating, he's illustrating the kingdom. And he's talking about a farmer who goes out and he plants what? He plants what's good. He's sowing what's good. But then an enemy comes and tries to mess everything up and sows what's, what's bad, sows, sows weeds. And then the farmer decides, well, I'm gonna let them both grow together. They're gonna mature together. And then at the final harvest, the final harvest, we'll bring them all in and some will be burned and some will be brought into the barn. You know, th this sheds so much light on why things are the way that they are. You, you ever notice how it seems like evil is getting more evil? It seems like it's getting worse and worse. Just when you think, man, people have reached their, their most perverted possible state. Like there's like new pervert, I mean, it just seems like it's getting worse and worse and people are more open with their sin. Things that used to be shameful are, are now celebrated. They're, they're lifted up like it's some, some virtue, things that are, are disgusting and, and, and vile. What, what in the world is, is going on? C celebrating sinful, terrible things, dedicating entire months to it. Which, which, by the way, I'm, I'm going to declare June as family month in our church. So you can mark June. We'll, we'll do something special. June is going to be family month. It's, it's to celebrate families, to celebrate God's blessing on, on families the entire month of June. Amen? But you, you can understand from this that the wheat and the, and the weeds or the tares, that they grew, they grew together. They were growing together. So if that's evil, why are things getting worse? We live in a time where evil and wickedness, is, it, it's been growing for, for thousands of years, maturing. This is the most mature, the most, most fruitful, most productive version of evil that has, ever, that has ever been in the world today. That you can see the evil is serious. W wicked mindsets and wicked perspectives and wicked behavior. They're not content just to sit. They're not content to plateau. They want to keep on taking ground. They want to invade into, into, into culture. They want to invade into entertainment. They want to invade into school systems. They want to invade into politics. Hungry to take more ground. You can see that evil, these tares, this weed that's been growing and reaching full strength, full maturity, that it is serious about taking ground for the sake of wickedness. But that's not the only thing that was planted. That's not the only thing that was sown because there was a farmer that was also doing some sowing. There was a farmer that was planting good wheat, something good, the kingdom of God, the truth of God's word, the church, the gospel, you and I. And if, if evil is going to be that serious about growing and taking ground, if that's as mature as it's ever been because it's had so much time to get its roots down and grow healthy and strong, then how much more so should you and I be even more determined? We're gonna be the most mature 
the most fruitful, the most developed church that, that has ever been on the planet because this is the time. This is our opportunity. We're here for such a time as this. So if the enemy wants to take ground, we're going to be even more serious about taking ground because we're what God has planted. We're, we're who God has on the earth today. So whatever the enemy wants to do, whatever the enemy's interested in doing, we'll, we'll flip it around and we'll push even harder. We'll be even more serious in the opposite direction. If the enemy wants to be vile, then we're going to be pure. If the enemy wants to be mean, then we're going to be kind. If the enemy wants to be cruel and violent, then we're going to be gentle. If the enemy wants people selfish, we're going to be selfless. If the enemy wants people greedy, we're going to be generous. If the enemy wants people proud and arrogant, then we're going to be humble. If the enemy wants to be, see people torn down, we're going to build them up. If the enemy wants to close churches down, we're going to open churches up. If the enemy wants to silence, if the enemy wants to silence people proclaiming the good news, we're going to make more opportunities to proclaim the word of God even louder. That whatever the, whatever the enemy is trying to do, God's going to use us to show what it looks like to have the body of Christ functioning and active on the earth today. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.